Hello, and welcome to the commentary for Lesson 352. This is Amos Chapter 7. So I want to kind of go back and review the last six chapters, um, just overall, big picture, what's going on here, um, because things shift a little bit in Chapter 7. So in Amos Chapter 1, um, we learned about God's judgment on Israel's neighbors, right? That's what... Amos was prophesying about. And in chapter 2, he was prophesying about God's judgment on Moab, on Judah, and Israel. And then chapter 3, uh, Amos is bringing a warning for Israel. So he's, God is warning Israel through Amos. In chapter 4, Amos is talking about the women who love luxury, right? Remember he called them fat cows? Um, so yeah, he was talking about them. Chapter 5, God is encouraging Israel to return to him, and he is giving them specific instructions on exactly what's what that would entail and how they could do that. Not like they shouldn't already know, but... And so God had encouraged them. He had really extended grace to them um, several times, and we see that especially in chapter 7. In chapter 6... It's party over, you know, they're living high on the hog. They had had, Israel had won a couple battles and they had become prideful and materialistic and they kind of forgot about God. And they were worshiping idols, which is God's biggest pet peeve, right? So they're worshiping idols. They stopped caring for the poor, which is pointed out several times in this book of the Bible. And... Not just that they stopped caring about the poor, but that they even took it to a different level, and that was that they were even taking advantage of the poor. And so the rich got richer, and the poor got poorer. And so God decides that's it. Party's over. You're not going to have all of this free time anymore. You're not going to be, you know, by the poolside telling your husband to go get a drink. This is not how we're going to operate anymore. I've given you several chances. This is it. But we do know that because of the covenant God made with Abraham, Jacob, and King David, that the remnant will remain, right? Regardless of how hard God comes down on his own people, because we know in these cycles, he does have to knock them off their high horse sometimes and oppress them. And if that kind of scripture is hard for you to bear, I understand that. But that's the reality of a holy God. And that's why we needed Jesus Christ as our Savior, because we can never live up to God's holy standard. Um, and so this is just another reminder of how, how we fall short. So in chapter 7, Amos has three visions. And in all of the book of Amos... Um, there are five visions, but they begin in this chapter. So that's kind of how, you know, the, the feeling of the scripture changes a little bit. So the first vision is a vision of locusts. And Amos says, the sovereign Lord showed me a vision. I saw him preparing to send a vast swarm of locusts over the land. Amos saw the devastation that would come, and he begged God. He said, O oh, Sovereign Lord, please forgive us. 
or we will not survive, for Israel is so small. Verse 3 says, So the Lord relented from his plan. I will not do it, he said. And then the same thing, similar thing happens again. Um, Verse 4 says, Then the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. Amos says he saw him preparing to punish his people with a great fire. The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring the entire land, and he begged God again. He, And what this is saying is he went and prayed to God on behalf of his nation. He said, O sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive, for Israel is so small. Verse 6, Then the Lord relented from this plan too. I will not do that either, said the sovereign Lord. So we see a pattern here of two different times. The Lord showed him a vision of the punishment that Israel would endure. Amos prayed on behalf of his country. And so this should be a good reminder to us that we can do the same and that we should do the same. James 5 verse 16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you are someone who is in relationship with God, who it's kind of funny, you'll know because people will start asking you to pray for stuff. (laughs) And it's because they think you have that inner track, right? You got the in with God. Um. And that just comes from years and years of living right, or trying to at least, and keeping that relationship with God through prayer and reading the Bible. So Amos apparently had that. He was a prophet, and you wouldn't become a prophet if you didn't have that relationship. So his prayers were answered, and God relented. That's mercy. That's grace that God offers the people of Israel. But there comes a point where he's had enough and he's not going to put up with it anymore. Um, Verse 7 says, Then he showed me another vision. Amos says, I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I answered, a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. Basically, he's saying, this is the standard. My study Bible says a plumb line is a device used to ensure the straightness of a wall. If you've ever watched a carpenter do their their work, I watched my um, my brother's father, I should say, Tom. He took me to work with him. He was a carpenter, and I remember watching him do a plumb line with the chalk, and they kind of pull the string back um, and release it, and it leaves a mark, a straight, a long straight mark where they need to cut or whatever. So it says a wall that is not straight will eventually collapse. God wants people to be right with him. He wants the sin that makes us crooked removed immediately. God's word is the plumb line that helps us be aware of our sin. God's word. I love that. God's word is the plumb line. It gives us the standard. That's our foundation. And as long as we are reading and learning and growing, we are aligning ourselves with that plumb line. It's never going to be perfect, but that's the goal. 
God says, I will no longer ignore all their sins. The pagan shrines of your ancestors will be ruined and the temples of Israel will be destroyed. I will bring the dynasty of King Jeroboam to a sudden end. So that sounds like he's had enough, doesn't it? Okay, so then we get to Amos and Amaziah. Um, It says, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, and by the way, he was the chief priest of Israel, right? Now, if you're the chief priest, wouldn't you want to hear what a prophet of God says? Shouldn't you care what God has to say through the prophets? But here we see that Amaziah was more concerned with his power and his position than he was about what God was trying to tell them. Um, He sends a message to King Jeroboam and says, Amos is hatching a plot against you right here on your very doorstep. (laughs) And then he keeps going. He says, you know, he's saying that you will soon be killed and all the people of Israel will be sent away in exile. Amos isn't hatching a plot. He's giving a prophecy from God. And Amaziah, as chief priest, should most definitely care about that and listen to that. But he doesn't. Tells you where his priorities are. Um, Amaziah tries to get Amos to leave and he says... Um, earn your living by prophesying there. Well, there that tells you he doesn't even understand the nature of a prophet. A prophet doesn't earn money. They're not in it for the money. That's not their career. (laughs) And I love this, how Amos sets him straight. He says, I'm not a professional prophet and I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd and I take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. Now then, Listen to this message from the Lord. And then he goes on to say exactly what's going to happen. And it's a horrible prophecy. You ever notice how some kings listen to their prophets and they consider them um, part of their team, their advisors? And then some kings view their prophets as the enemy, the bearer of bad news. They don't want them around. And you can see why when Amos says... Here's what, here's what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in this city and your sons and daughters will be killed. Well, nobody wants to hear that. Your land will be divided up and you yourself will die in a foreign land. All the people of Israel will certainly become captives in exile far from their homeland. So that's the bad news that Amos is delivering to King Jeroboam. And obviously the king is not happy about it. So what does God decide to do and how is he going to punish his people? Well, he is going to raise up the enemy. See, um, Israel, like I said, they had won a couple battles. They had become prideful, materialistic. They thought a little too much of themselves. Maybe they became overconfident. And the enemies around them, they thought that they could take them over easily. And so... What they forgot was that God determines who gets victory and who doesn't. And since they didn't include God and they weren't listening to him and they weren't walking with him and they weren't following their way, his ways, in fact, they went so far as to be worshiping idols in Bethel, of all places, um, God decides that he will strengthen the enemies of Israel. That's 
a truth to wrap your brain around that takes a little while to meditate on that that you're in, that God would actually strengthen your enemy to put you in your place if that's what it takes so the enemy will come and conquer Israel many Israelites will be killed but the rest will be exiled from their promised land but remember because of that covenant he made to King David they will not all die. He will not wipe them out completely. Um, and you know, I, I just, one thing too that I didn't mention that I want to mention, um, from my notes is we see that God offered grace at Amos's request. He was warned, encouraged the people to return to him. He told them exactly what they needed to do to show repentance. And God is angry and he's going to punish them but he will not wipe them out completely. What is Israel's hugest defense? We know that they worshiped idols, but it says over and over, there's a concern for the poor here. They were not caring for the poor. Moreover, they were taking advantage of them, making matters even worse. They were not observing the Sabbath. They were becoming arrogant and prideful. They were resting on their laurels. They were getting fat, lazy, complacent, and they had no room in their lives for God anymore. They were preoccupied by their own success and their own stuff and their own palaces and their own pools and all of that. They were preoccupied with those things. So that's where they're at. And, you know, I just want to kind of reiterate like back in I mean we know this is true but we know the cycle we know what God requires but I want to read from second chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven will forgive their sin and will heal their land that's all we have to do we have to recognize that we're falling short. We have to turn from our wicked ways. God hears us when we call out to him. God knows when we have a repentant heart. God knows that we want to make things right. But they weren't doing that. So God had to uh, take matters to the next level. So um, it's a hard truth, but that's the reality of the situation in the Old Testament. Remember, it's hardcore Old Testament. So that's where we're at tomorrow we will read from amos 8 i might do both 8 and 9 but there was a lot there so that's why i started breaking it down um, because it's getting to be more um there's a lot in 8 and 9 both have really really deep meaning and um, prophecy that foretells about jesus so i want to spend a little more time on those but anyways that's really it for today i hope you all have a great day and i will talk to you soon <music>